0: I'm Rachel, and I'm Leah, and And this this is Hashtag Hashtag History. History, the podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike,
1: where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Hello, everyone. This is hashtag history episode 39. I'm Rachel and I'm Leah. (laughs) So I am super, 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 super excited about this week's topic. American history has always been my favorite, which you all know if you have been listening to this podcast for any length of time. But even more narrow than my fascination with American history in general is my sort of weird, nerdy fascination with assassinations. I I can attest to this weird, weird
0: fascination.
1: It's a a little weird. Um, Now, of course, the worst thing about an assassination is that, uh, well, someone dies. (laughs) So maybe that's why I extra love this week's topic because yes, we are talking about American history and yes, it is related to an assassination, but it was an assassination attempt. The subject of this almost assassination lived to tell the tale, but only just barely. If you don't already know what we are talking about, we are talking about the 1981 attempted assassination of 40th United States President Ronald Reagan. While leaving a speaking engagement on March 30th, 1981, Reagan was shot by a would-be assassin with the bullet entering his lung and stopping only an inch from his heart. He would make a full recovery and remain in the presidential office for another eight years. His would-be assassin, John Hinckley Jr., would be found not guilty by reason of insanity and is today no longer behind bars, but instead living in Virginia with his mama.
0: You know, with a name like John Hinckley Jr., I feel like you're meant to be an assassin.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say he's meant to forever live with his mama. Well, that too. (laughs) (laughs) Double trouble. Now, let's kick off what I am sure to be a fun time with a cocktail. (laughs) Love it.
0: (laughs) So this is a short one, and honestly, I'm not sure about
1: this drink this week. Not sure. Is that because it contains vermouth? Yeah. Yeah, It is. Yeah. Yeah. Because
0: essentially, guys, well, we'll get into it, but it's essentially like a, what is it? A vodka? Oh, what is it called? Vodka orange What is this?
1: What is a screwdriver? Screwdriver. Yes. Vodka and orange not Yeah.
0: It's essentially that and then with vermouth.
1: (laughs) Yeah, which... When we started this podcast, I feel like the first three, four cocktails we had all had vermouth in them, and like that was, was the first season five. one. First five, and we have not had vermouth in like three seasons now. It yeah. feels like
0: so maybe our our tastes have changed,
1: and we'll this like is possible. But yeah, maybe we're more uh seasoned uh, sophi- I was going to say sophisticated yeah. season, sure. Uh huh. So, according to an article from
0: Business Insider, Reagan's favorite drink was called the Orange Blossom Special. So, that's what we're drinking, guys. Okay. Like I said, it is made with two parts of orange juice to one part vodka and one part sweet vermouth or grenadine. I did like mostly vermouth and then just a squirt of grenadine. No idea. <laughs> no idea if that was a good decision or not. We'll find out. Um. I
1: I did the same because I I love grenadine and especially with something with vermouth. I was just thinking maybe this would make it a little sweeter if you add grenadine to it. Yeah, that was my thought, too.
0: Apparently, uh, most people think of Ronald Reagan as the glamorous movie star president, which is just so funny because, you know, by today's standards, he's not that good looking or glamorous or anything.
1: No, but it was like a really big deal that a Hollywood star had become our president. For sure. Um, So I just think it's cute that he liked
0: this like little cute cocktail called I the orange it. blossom special so I just am assuming that it was actually secretly Nancy's favorite drink and he just <laughs> went along with it I love that <laughs> love it all right okay. well cheers let me know what you cheers. think yours looks so different let I mean me mine's yours. in a blue glass but yours is <gasps> so
1: much darker than mine maybe I put more grenadine in
0: yeah yeah I only put a few splat, like a few squirts so that's probably it
1: Okay. Here we go.
0: It just tastes like a vodka or like a screwdriver.
1: Yeah. It actually. Yeah. I I like it. But. Yeah. I like it. I do too. Yeah, the vermouth isn't as strong as I was thinking it was going to be. Yeah. What What's your rating on this one? Um, I'm gonna go five. Ooh, you're more than that. Six. <laughs> you're six. You're like, oh, yeah. you're so tough. I'll give one extra point. <laughs> yeah. I'll be nicer. Um I really wouldn't I give like there's been very, very few of our cocktails that I'm like, that is gross. There's only been maybe like two or something that have been like that's gross. I'm trying to even think what they were. I I feel like they must have been like at the very beginning, kind of ones that were very heavy on vermouth. Is how I feel. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm.
1: But so almost any time that I give like a semi lower rating on a cocktail now is not necessarily because I don't like the cocktail. It's just is this. Like if it, if I were left to my devices and stuff, is this what I would drink and what I would order? And the answer is almost always no. So, you know, with with something like this, like no, I'm almost never going to make a cocktail with vermouth on my own. No, that that's a good
0: point. I think the thing that has to make it go like above a seven for me is will I make this again? Or like yes, if ever presented with all of the ingredients, will I
1: make this again? Right, and the answer which means is no yeah the answer is no on this one the ones that we will make again are any of that include uh elderflower liqueur yeah mm-hmm. um the one the one the one the
0: one um that were was our top our tippity top, top. leonardo da vinci da vinci
1: prosecco. i'm telling you
0: the prosecco and the f***ing limoncello i i'm t- i'm i'm willing to spend a hundred dollars on booze every month for this <laughs> I haven't done yeah, it since no, that, then, but, I mean, I'm willing to.
1: <laughs> what if we've talked it up so much now that, like, it actually wasn't that good? No. no. I, I, How I, dare I? I continue
0: to finish the the, 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 the bottle of Prosecco and the bottom of, bottle of Limoncello for days afterwards, remaking this drink,
1: because it was oh, so good. Rachel. So good. Okay, that one goes down forever. Okay, let me drink a little yeah, more and then we'll get some going. some Chug
0: Chugs. Also, in case I finish, I brought a little bit of wine because I have a little bit. I
1: love it. Actually, I have a little bit of wine that's chilled in the fridge right now. Mm, Just follow my lead, Rachel. (laughs) Okay, Leah. So what do you know about the Reagan assassination attempt?
0: Very little. So I have probably, the most I've heard about it was probably um, like
1: on... I heart the 80s or you know what I mean like yeah 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 well actually that that was exactly what I was hoping you were going to say because I am hoping for some real authentic shock value when I show you this first picture (gasps) oh we're getting right into it so Check out the picture behind door number one and tell me, did you know that this person sadly, unfortunately, has some really heavy ties to the attempted Reagan assassination?
0: Wow, it's Jodie Foster!
1: <laughs> was that, okay, good? That, was a, that was a little intense. Maybe, oh. maybe uh, take two. Okay, Try it again. Okay.
0: Wow, it's Jody Foster. <laughs> That's worse. <laughs>
1: But yes, it's Jodie Foster. Did you have any idea that she was connected to this? No, I had no clue. She's massively connected to this. And that is pretty much the most fascinating part of the whole story to me. She was a child star at this time, right? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, at the time of this, she was early 20s. And so she had already done a bunch of uh, movies as a young child and uh, young adult and then she went off to school at she attended Yale we'll talk about that a bit more in this episode and so she actually kind of stopped acting for a couple years and that was right around the time of this incident was when she was in school but she definitely was already popular famous at the time got it noted noted take notes done (laughs) now let's start with the man behind the attempted assassination so that we can get into the links to actress Jodie Foster John Warnock Hinckley Jr. was born on May 29th 1955 in Ardmore Oklahoma his family moved to Texas when he was young and according to historians lived a pretty normal life that is until high school Around high school, for reasons I was unable to locate, Hinckley kind of changed course. He was no longer hanging out with friends or playing sports or anything anymore. Rather, he picked up guitar and spent the majority of his time alone studying music. In his college years, he dropped out of Texas Tech University and moved to California in 1976. His goal here was to become a songwriter, but... Like many people we hear about who moved to California or New York with big dreams of having successful careers, Hinckley's plans did not pan out.
0: Sounds like the beginning of Charles Manson's story or something.
1: Yeah, it. And actually, we will be talking about Charles Manson at some point in this episode.
0: What?
1: There you go. That was genuine shock value right there. <laughs>
0: Maybe I'll cut that little section into the Jodie Foster surprise section.
1: There you just cut it. What? <laughs> for the brief period of time that he lived in California, he would write home to his parents to both ask them for money and to tell them about his girlfriend, Lynn Collins, who ended up not actually being real. Before the year was up, Hinkley had moved back in with his parents, where they now lived in Colorado. We know it is around this time, while he was kind of moseying around and trying to find his way, that he was prescribed antidepressants and tranquilizers to assist with his mental health issues. I
0: feel like they were
1: very... um, Oh, times were so different, if that's what you were about to say. Like, Like,
0: tranquilizers
1: for... Oh you have a a sore throat you're dealing with depression yeah oh (laughs) tranquilizers (laughs) yeah yeah no medical times were very very different interesting and leah and i've both talked about mental health here on the podcast a handful of times we're both huge huge supporters of the mental health assistance community we both have firsthand experience with mental illness and never ever take it lightly Researching about Hinckley was tough because regardless of what he would go on to do, it is very clear that he had severe mental issues. Now, in 1976, something else really important happened. The movie Taxi Driver came out. Have you heard of it, Leah? Yes. Never seen it, but I've heard of it. So it's a really, really popular movie. In fact, when I was doing my research, I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes and it has a 96% rating. On Rotten Tomatoes, that's impressive. Very impressive because I don't know, some of my favorite movies, mostly rom coms that I'm referring to. They're like have 30%. Like a... <laughs> yeah, 33%. <laughs> like, hey, Sandra Bullock was amazing in that movie. <laughs> now, Taxi Driver tells the really dark story of a perpetually lonely, young, night shift taxi driver. He was an ex-Marine who served in the Vietnam War, a chronic insomniac, and a porn addict. This taxi driver, named Travis Bickle and played by Robert De Niro, becomes obsessed with a campaign volunteer named Betsy, who is working the campaign for a presidential candidate. Travis likewise joins the campaign just to talk to her and take her out on a date. He takes her to see a pornographic movie, which obviously throws her off and officially ruins any future relationship they could have had. So yeah. that's just a word of advice to our listeners. Don't take a girl to a porn film the first time you take her out. I mean, unless you've discussed it
0: previously and you're both into it. But I would say if you haven't had that discussion, not a safe bet.
1: Err on the side of caution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stick with the Sandra Bullock rom-com. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> or literally anything other than porn. <laughs>
1: literally anything else guys <laughs> travis continues to stalk and berate her though fast forward a bit and travis in the mental state that he is in becomes obsessed with cleaning up what he considers to be the dirty streets of new york he witnessed a young prostitute named iris played by 13 year old jody foster being dragged out of his cap by her pimp There's a moment in the movie where Travis cuts his hair into a mohawk, gets a gun and almost attempts to assassinate the presidential candidate that his obsession Betsy works for. He doesn't end up following through with this, but he goes to the brothel where Iris works and ends up shooting and killing Iris's pimp, her customer and the bouncer at the brothel. When the police come, they end up hailing Travis as a hero for saving Iris from this horrific life of prostitution. Mm. I can see your eyebrows very furrowed right now. Yeah. Iris's father even ends up writing to Travis, thanking him for saving his daughter and informing him that Iris is now back home with family and attending school. Travis and his initial love interest, Betsy even reconnect briefly toward the end of the movie. And it seems as though Travis, this crazy mentally ill murderer has done pretty damn well for himself. Now, why is this movie important to the story of Ronald Reagan's almost assassination? Yeah, that's my big question right now. That's the question. Here's the answer. Because John Hinckley Jr. became obsessed with the movie. We know that he went and saw the movie up to 15 times. But more than that, more than becoming obsessed with the movie, he became obsessed with actress Jodie Foster, she was like fifteen. You said she was thirteen. Thirteen in That's the movie. Great. Yeah, he's he's a little bit older than her, but not by a whole whole lot. I I'm trying to think of like some quick math. No one quote me on this, but he's about like five years older than her ish at the time. Now in 1980, when Foster began studying at Yale University, Hinckley also moved to Connecticut and began stalking her. He would shove dozens of letters and poems under her door and even spoke to her a few times on the phone. But he never achieved the attention or mutual affection he hoped for. He began coming up with crazy schemes in an attempt to win both her attention and affection, one plot being committing suicide in front of her. Eventually, he settled, though, on assassinating the president. Not only would this get her attention, but I think it's safe to say, knowing his obsession with the Taxi Driver movie, that maybe he was trying to replicate some of Travis Bickle's murderous actions that ended up working in his favor. I
0: just love the fact that, I don't love the fact, but that <laughs> there's actually no po- political like, reason behind this assassination Oh no, yeah, no,
1: no political movement. That's an excellent point, whereas every other assassination attempt has a very strong political motive right even if it's like
0: like an unsubstantiated one or you know whatever
1: no that's like me like uh i don't know choosing to yeah uh, choosing to assassinate the president because of my obsession with keanu reeves (laughs) are you you saying this doesn't make sense to you (laughs) what 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 about this could not make sense to you you'll know my name
0: <laughs>
1: so jimmy carter was actually president at the time of Hinckley's obsessions and so this is who he initially attempted to assassinate Hinckley did conduct a few test runs he traveled to a couple of different cities in which carter was speaking to see just how close he could get to the president to see if an assassination would even be possible at one point he even flew to washington dc and stayed in a hotel only three blocks from the white house on one of these test run trips Hinkley was in Nashville, Tennessee, when the airport's x ray machine caught Hinkley's handguns in his suitcase. Hinkley was arrested and fined $62.50. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, now because I was shocked by a fine amount as low as $62.50, I did some additional research. If we were to assume that unpermitted handgun fines were the same today, which of course we know they're not, a direct inflation calculator tells us that in 1980 is the equivalent of $194.47 today. But again, like I just said, we know that the fine for an unpermitted gun found in luggage by the TSA is now a fine of approximately $2,400 for an unloaded gun and up to $4,000 for a loaded gun. While finding unpermitted guns in his luggage is suspicious and concerning, Hinckley never alluded to his attempt to assassinate a U.S. president, and officials never made the connection themselves. Because of that, he was never placed on a watch list, and the FBI nor the Secret Service were ever alerted. Had airport staff dug a little deeper into Hinckley's luggage, though, they would have found his diary, which detailed his plans to kill President <sighs> Carter.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Uh, that's one of those awful stories that we have over and over and over in our justice system where the person, when they're finally charged, is like, cool, there was a long ass history that could have told you this was going to end up happening. yeah. So Hinckley's plans to assassinate Carter are essentially foiled at this point. He next sets sights on killing Senator Edward Kennedy, which if you have listened to season one and season two of this podcast, you know that we have covered Chappaquiddick and both Robert Kennedy's and John Kennedy's assassinations. So you know that Edward or Ted, as he was called Kennedy, was the last Kennedy brother standing at this time. Hinckley didn't get the chance to execute these plans, though, due to security measures at the Capitol. Therefore, he set his final sights on assassinating soon-to-be-president Ronald Reagan. In fact, Hinckley sent Jody Foster a postcard that had a picture of Reagan at his inauguration on it, in which he wrote, One day you and I will occupy the White House and the peasants will drool with envy. Okay,
0: so like literally no sense of reality. Got it.
1: No, no. Very, very severe mental issues here. On March 29th, 1981, Hinkley checked into the Park Century Hotel just two blocks from the White House. Hinkley wrote one last love letter to Foster that I have here for you to read, Leah. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) You get to read the (laughs) would-be assassin's final love letter. It's probably going to be really creepy. Okay.
0: Yeah. Here, let me get my creepy voice on. <laughs> <laughs> Dear, Jody, Dear Jody, there is a definite possibility that I will be killed in my attempt to get Reagan. It is for this very reason that I am writing you this letter now. As you well know by now, I love you very much. The past Ugh. seven months, I have left you dozens of poems, letters, and messages in the faint hope you would develop an interest in me. Meh. Um, although, although we talked on the phone a couple of times, I never had the nerve to simply approach you and introduce myself. Besides my shyness, I honestly did not wish to bother you. I know the many messages left at your door and in your mailbox were a nuisance, but I felt it was the most painless way for me to express my love to you. I feel very good about the fact that you at least know my name and how I feel about you. And by hanging around your dormitory, I've come to realize that I'm the topic of more than a little conversation. Oh, that's creepy. Um, Yes. However full of ridicule it may be, at least you know that I'll always love you. Jody. I would abandon this idea of getting Reagan in a second if I could only win your heart and live out the rest of my life with you, whether it be in total obscurity or whatever. I will admit to you that the reason I'm going ahead with this attempt now is because I just cannot wait any longer to impress you. I've got to do something now to make you understand in no uncertain terms that I am doing all of this for your sake. By sacrificing my freedom and possibly my life, I hope to change your mind about me. This letter is being written an hour before I leave for the Hilton Hotel. Jody, I'm asking you to please look into your heart and at least give me the chance with this historical deed to gain your respect and love. I love you forever. Signed, John Hinckley. <sighs> There's so, I mean, we don't need to go into it, but just, it, more than like being angry or upset with him, you just feel sad that someone is this confused.
1: And like you said, has such a deep separation with reality because he still believed like in that last sentence of the letter, at least give me the chance with this historical deed, like he's doing a good deed to gain your respect and love like anyone would ever respect or love the guy that assassinates the president. Yeah. Like we've already said, there are some major, major mental health issues at play here in order to impress a celebrity and to get their attention, Hinckley has decided the best method is to assassinate the president of the United States. Unlike Hinckley, when I attempted to get attention from Daniel Radcliffe when I was 12 years old, I mailed him a cute letter and a stupid school photo of myself. So, wow, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> wow. Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the picture that you sent him.
1: Um, All I can remember about the picture is when I was 12, I was still doing the like very uh, slick gelled back hair. So it pretty much looks like I'm bald. With the two tendrils in the front? Obviously. Okay. Obviously. Yes, yes, yes. And then I was wearing, I remember I was wearing a necklace that was my favorite necklace. It was like one of those white shell kind of like choker necklaces. Uh-huh. It's it's a wonder Daniel Radcliffe never wrote me back. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm shocked. Shocker right there. It's,
1: it's been a good 15 years, Daniel Radcliffe. I'd like a response, please. Do you really want a response from him now? Yeah, not now. I said. wanted a response from 12-year-old Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, you didn't know that he wasn't going to grow
0: past what he was at at that point. In time. <laughs> that was the height, literally the height that he would reach. <laughs>
1: Both figuratively
0: and literally. Yeah, metaphorically and really. (laughs) Oh my god, that's hilarious. (laughs) Hilarious. Like, you were probably taller than him already at that point. And taller than... You didn't! Like, 12-year-old you was probably taller than he is now. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, That hurts my stomach. Oh. (sighs) That was good. All right. <laughs> I'm here to entertain. Thank you. I take I'll tips. I'll be here all week.
1: Yeah, I take <laughs> <laughs> On March 30th, just two months after he became the 40th U.S. president, Ronald Reagan was at the Washington Hilton Hotel in Washington, D.C. for a speaking engagement. While it was common for the president and his Secret Service agents to wear bulletproof vests, they didn't do so on this particular day because... The only moments in which Reagan would be around the public would be in the thirty foot walk from the hotel to his limousine at the end of his speech. And therefore, they felt they were safe. As we now know today, they were anything but. At 227 PM, as Reagan was leaving the hotel to get to his limousine that was waiting along the curb, John Hinckley Jr. pulled out his revolver and shot at the president six times within one point seven seconds. And guess what? He missed the president all six times. White House staff wasn't as fortunate. White House press secretary James Brady was hit just above the left eye, which passed through underneath his brain and exploded his brain cavity. Oh, hard to believe. But Brady actually survived this hit, despite what news outlets initially reported. Brady, who would suffer lifelong injuries as a result of the shooting, including paralysis on the left side of his body, died in 2014. Fascinatingly, Brady's death would be ruled a homicide 33 years after the shooting incident. Even if you have never studied the Reagan assassination attempt, you actually do know about James Brady, even if you don't realize it. Because of what happened to Brady as a result of the Reagan shooting, Brady and his wife got the Brady bill enacted in November of 1993, which is the law that mandates that there be a federal background check on anyone attempting to purchase a firearm. And it is also the bill that imposes the five day waiting period on purchases. So any gun owners out there that I know are very familiar with the Brady bill newsflash that came as a result of the Ronald Reagan assassination attempt. The next person hit was District of Columbia police officer Thomas Delahunty, who was hit in the back of the neck. The bullet hit his spine and bounced off. He also survived this hit and is still alive today at the age of 85. Go Thomas. Right. Secret Service agent Tim McCarthy was also hit. Once he spotted Hinckley as the gunman in the crowd, he spread his arms out and blocked the president. Because of this heroic move, he ended up getting hit by a bullet that traveled from his lower abdomen up to his right lung, diaphragm, and liver. McCarthy is also still alive to this day. Oh, the the bravery that
0: it takes to do that, I can't like it you have to literally train yourself. Yeah to not do like fight or flight you know what I mean like you just have right to no absolutely to
1: like- absolutely and I know that that's their job but that's what you're signing on for when you sign on for that job is literally putting your life in the line of fire yeah that's crazy a labor official named Alfred Antonucci saw Hinckley fire the shots and wrestled him to the ground at about the same time that special agent in charge Jerry Parr pushed Reagan into the limousine and took off now if you're thinking. Hey, wait a minute. I thought at the very beginning of this episode, you said Reagan was hit by a bullet that stopped just inches from his heart, but now you're telling me all six bullets missed Reagan? That's correct. The sixth and final bullet that Hinckley shot actually hit the side of the limousine and bounced off, hitting Reagan in the left underarm. The bullet then passed through his lung, stopping just an inch from his heart. As they are in the limo, Agent Parr is checking the president out to see if he has been hit. It's then that Reagan coughed up blood. Parr, at the time, believed he had cracked Reagan's rib when he pushed him into the limo. The limo was initially headed toward the White House, but after seeing Reagan cough up blood, they made a detour to the closest hospital, George Washington University Hospital. Within four minutes of the shooting, Reagan had reached the hospital, Hinckley had been carted off to jail, and Reagan's wife, Nancy, had left the White House and was on her way to be with her husband. In what I believe to be an attempt to calm the public, Reagan insisted upon entering the ER on foot, even though there was a stretcher there to take him inside. He smiled at those gathering around the hospital and did his best to look cool, calm, and collected, but upon entering the hospital, he fell to one knee and complained of not being able to breathe. For anyone out there that doesn't know this, Reagan was only days away from his 70th birthday when he became president. Prior to Trump, Reagan was the oldest U.S. president. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So at 70 years old, falling down to one knee and saying he was having difficulty breathing is really, really scary. ER staff cut off Reagan's custom-made suit, which was apparently a $1,000 suit, and he was not happy that they did that. Oh. You can afford it. You're a movie star. Yeah, and they got to work. It was only then that they discovered that Reagan had indeed been shot. Up to this point, nobody knew. Despite the fact that Reagan was physically very weak, considering that he ended up losing over half his blood during the emergency surgery, he continued to maintain a positive attitude. Oh,
0: that just that sentence just made me like go f***ing weak in the knees
1: about oh, the blood. The blood. Uh, I know. Oh,
0: seriously, my hands are weak.
1: <laughs> ah, have a drink. <laughs> See if that helps. Apparently, when his wife Nancy reached the hospital, one of the first things he said to her was, Honey, I forgot to duck. And as ER staff was performing surgery, Reagan said to them, I hope you are all Republicans. His surgery was successful. And although he did have a fever during his recovery, he made a successful and speedy recovery, even signing legislation from the hospital the very next day. The agents injured during the shooting were treated at the same hospital and also had successful surgeries and recoveries, although many of them would suffer lifelong consequences as a result. Reagan, too, would suffer from pain from the bullet wound for many years to come, but he did so in private. Publicly, he was regarded as a hero following the assassination attempt. Reagan went on to be elected for a second term, and following the shooting, polls show he had an approval rating of 73%. There were even several Democrats that jumped sides to support a really controversial economic plan that Reagan had proposed in Congress. I personally cannot imagine being Reagan or being his wife, and two months into my presidency, there has already been an attempt on my life, and I have already had emergency surgery for a bullet that just narrowly missed my heart. But Reagan and his presidency is another conversation for another time. Let's get back to his would-be assassin, John Hinckley Jr., Like I mentioned earlier, Hinckley was taken to a D.C. jail following the shooting. While behind bars, Hinckley attempted suicide twice, the first time by ingesting Tylenol and Valium and the second time by hanging himself from an article of clothing within his cell. He was indicted with attempting to kill the president of the United States, as well as assault with intent to kill the three other men injured during the shooting. Hinckley pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. In a trial that would last eight weeks, jurors heard from psychiatrists that said Hinckley was schizophrenic and even heard videotaped testimony from Jodie Foster. His defense stated that the movie Taxi Driver is what had driven Hinckley to execute the shooting. On June 21st, 1982, John Hinckley Jr. was found not guilty by reason of insanity. People across the U.S. were in shock. Following the not guilty verdict, a new act known as the Insanity Defense Reform Act of 1984 was passed to modify the rules for considering mental illness for defendants in federal criminal court. States like Utah, Montana and Idaho completely abolished the defense of not guilty by reason of insanity in their courts wow yes i didn't know that me neither until researching this episode i did not know that but it completely revolutionized the court system because people were so dumbfounded how the guy that attempted to kill the president could be found not guilty yeah regardless of not being found guilty hinckley was sent to saint elizabeth's hospital in washington dc a psychiatric hospital Around 1987, officials found in Hinckley's room evidence that he was still obsessed with Jodie Foster. He had written in letters that he considered the shooting to be an act of love and still could not understand why Jodie Foster did not reciprocate his affections. In addition to these letters about Foster, officials also found that Hinckley had been exchanging letters with who other than infamous serial killer Ted Bundy? What? Hinckley was also actively attempting to obtain the address of likewise infamous criminal Charles Manson. What? It would be more than a decade later that Hinckley would be allowed to have supervised visits with his parents away from the hospital. These permissions continued to extend more broadly as they eventually allowed for week-long stays at his parents, and he was even allowed to obtain a driver's license. On the 30th anniversary of the Reagan assassination attempt, March 29th, 2011, Hinckley's attorney filed a petition requesting additional permissions, including unsupervised visits with his parents. Fast forward to July twenty-seven, two 2016, a federal judge ruled that Hinckley was no longer a threat to himself or others and was released from the psychiatric institution. But the judge ordered that Hinckley could only be released under certain conditions. These conditions included that he would have to live with his mom, that he was not allowed to drink alcohol, not allowed to possess any form of firearms or weapons, could not have contact with Jodie Foster or even have any pictures of her, could not watch violent movies, could not watch porn, and could not erase his internet browser history, amongst many, many other things. In September of 2018, a judge ruled that Hinckley could move out of his mother's house. Despite all the research I did, I could not find if Hinckley has, in fact, done so. I mean probably living living life up with mom that's that's what i think there were a couple updates towards the end of 2019 about him potentially getting his own place but you know uh 2020 has not really been the year for making big life changes like trying to move or really do anything outside of one's home the ronald reagan assassination attempt changed history From changing gun control laws, insanity defenses, and the president's personal protection services, this event will never be forgotten. As for Jodie Foster, she went on to be a very successful actress, starring in movies like The Silence of the Lambs and Contact, and also went on to win many awards. She has only publicly addressed the Hinckley connection on three occasions. She addressed it at a press conference shortly after the shooting, She wrote an essay titled Why Me that was published in Esquire in 1982 and one final time in a 60 minutes interview in 1999. Beyond that, Foster has said she refuses to dwell on it and has even canceled interviews that intended to bring questions about Hinckley into the conversation. My biggest thing is good for her for like, being like, this isn't my fault. No, it's not because her fault. He,
0: the thing about Hinckley's letter, final letter to her or whatever, that was like really frustrating to me is like you continue to very clearly be like, this is your fault. I'm doing this, for, you know, kind yes. of like pushing the blame and everything yes. onto
1: Jody. Yes that's not love no no that's not love and good for her I mean of course I don't know what goes on in her mind and especially what went on in her mind then she was in her early 20s I cannot imagine for something that is 100% not her fault and she had no responsibility and control over I can't imagine the guilt Mm -hmm. that I am sure she felt and and maybe even still feels today (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share that picture um, that we discussed in this episode to our Instagram and then all sources used to put this episode together can be found on our website. Now, believe it or not, but next week is our season four finale. Ah, How that <laughs> happen so fast?
0: I don't know.
1: As you guys know, we always have something really fun and exciting up our sleeves for our finale episodes. This season finale, we are doing a collaboration episode with the ladies from the Whining About Herstory podcast. I'm so
0: excited. I'm so excited. I'm so nervous.
1: And I mean, only, that- <laughs> we, we're always nervous about these sorts of things, but they always end up being so much fun. I know you guys are super going to enjoy it. The Whining About Herstory podcast, they're a two-female-hosted history podcast, much like yours truly, that focuses on highlighting women in history. We are super, super excited about this collaboration episode and cannot wait for you guys to hear it next week as always if you enjoyed the episode do us a favor and subscribe to hashtag history on whatever podcast platform you use share it with a friend and give us a rate and review you can also check us out on
0: patreon that is patreon.com slash hashtag history
1: shut up rachel you guys are listeners try saying slash then hash right after it's not easy you get the idea (laughs) (laughs)
0: Where you can support our podcast by donating a dollar a month to our booze and book supply. A dollar a month from you guys goes a long way for us towards our alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) And other things, but also the alcohol. But also the alcohol. Thank you, guys. (laughs) And be sure to check us out, as always, on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. Thank you.
1: Thanks. Are you going to leave me hanging like I did last week
0: you? I'm just waiting so you don't leave me hanging.
1: I won't. Bye. She Bye. left me hanging. She's so rude. <laughs> it's because I did that to her last week. She's so Yeah, rude. that was
0: really a jerk. A jerk <laughs> on your part. So. I, don't, I don't have any guilt or regret about that.
1: Wait, way to hold a grudge. <laughs> From changing gun ch- <laughs> From changing gun ch- control... That's hard to say. Gun control. You can also... <laughs> <laughs> A labor official named Alfred Antonucci. Let's do that again. Now, in 1970... 19-
0: <laughs> Look at me. See, people like European history, Rachel. That's what it is.
1: I, I, I refuse... <laughs> To analyze the data. Okay. (laughs) I refuse to support that. Yeah. It's gross. Okay. Uh, Here we go. Pew,
0: pew. Pew. (laughs) This is the
1: first time ever I finished the drink like a long time ago. Oh, this is wine now. (laughs) Excuse me. uh (laughs) I missed. Yes, I knew something was off. (sighs) That was
0: really smooth editing on your part. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you changed when I saw you do it. It
1: was it was like (laughs) so I just copied and pasted this from the internet, and you know how sometimes like. Not everything copies and pastes perfectly. And it was like, it turned the L and the Y into like a symbol, like a weird symbol instead of L Y. (laughs) That's That's hilarious. (laughs) I was like, trying hella hard to get to it before you got there. I saw the struggle in your eyes. On March 30th, just two months after he became. (laughs)
0: I have to to stop thinking about that.
1: Oh, God, that's so funny. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Okay, we're talking about someone almost dying. Get it together. Yeah. Brady, who... Brady... Gosh, I am having one of my almost burps. Oh. Oh, Rachel. I don't think I've ever actually been sad. I've just been
0: gassy. (laughs) (laughs) Cast Hashtag history
1: Hashtag history
0: (laughs) Patreon.com slash hashtag That's really hard It's
1: it's very hard to say slash and then say hash
0: right after Okay Patreon.com slash hashtag history Shut up